Yeah, friends, good morning. For those of you who are new, my name is Josh Knight. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace. And uh, I'll say it because, you know, Josh won't say it about himself. But, man, Josh, as he said, is a minister to students here at Flourishing Grace. Uh, and we have an incredible student ministry. Josh does a fantastic job in that ministry. And he's done an incredible job of recruiting and training and developing uh, an amazing team of volunteers. And so I just want to say, man, thanks to all of our student volunteers who are in the room, who are pouring their lives into those kids. And, and we know that right now in our culture, in, in the West, it's an incredibly difficult time to do student ministry. Um, and then you take all of that and you put it in the context of Utah, and it's an insanely difficult place to do student ministry. And so Josh is, is walking up an incredibly steep hill every single day uh, that he goes to work. And it's really, it's a thankless job, right? It, it really is. I mean, when, when everything's going well in the life of your student, you're like, look how awesome I am, right? When everything's going terrible, you're like, look how terrible Josh is, or, right? It's, it's, it's just like, that's the life of a student minister. Uh, welcome, welcome to it. Um, but he, he just does an insanely beautiful job, and we're so excited for the weekend. It's going to be an incredible time for our students, and so thanks to Josh and thanks to all of our volunteers. Uh, we are jumping back into a series that we started in October of last year uh, in, this, in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and so if you're like, wait, what happened to Mark chapter 1, 2, 3, and the first half of 4? Go back and you can find that online, flourishinggrace.org slash listen. We took a break for Advent, and we took a break for our, our last sermon series on uh, the Fellowship of Sufferings. And now we're getting back into it, and we're going to be in it all the way to Easter uh, this year as we get to kind of get together in this room and um, man, reflect on the death of Christ on Good Friday and celebrate the resurrection of Christ on Easter together as a church. I'm excited. Uh, for that. But for this morning, right, every time, every time a church, any church walks through one of the Gospels, right, the four Gospels are these accounts of Jesus' life, the way that he lived, the habits he practiced, the things that he was disciplined in, the way he responded in hard moments. We get, we get to kind of look in on his life, the life of the one that we are seeking to know and to emulate, to be like. We get to see that. And as a church, we get to grow together in our knowledge of Christ and our likeness of Christ. So this is a sweet season for us here at Flourishing Grace. And for those of you who are in the room, maybe you came on the arm of a friend, or maybe uh, somebody dragged you here this morning, you're like, man, I don't really know if I believe in Jesus. I'm not really, am I really seeking to know him? Or am I really seeking to emulate him? I don't even know if I believe in him, right? Uh, for you, it's a sweet time as well. It's an incredibly sweet time to get to read kind of these accounts of his life and these details of his life and say, is this the one worth following? Is he really who he says he is? Is he really the God of the universe? Is he really the Savior King? Right? Does he really have the power to save me? Right? These are the questions that we should be asking as we approach the text. And this morning, I'm, what I want to do is I just want us to walk through this text together. I want to make a bunch of observations of these two stories. Right? Mark's gospel is not written in chronological order. Okay? But these two stories are. These two stories are within the same kind of 24-hour period. They're back-to-back -back events, but they, but they capture the same theme, the same idea. It's repeated twice. God is doing something here. There's a message being taught and being told. And so let's illuminate that. Let's walk through this and make some observations. And then I have three things um, that I, I just want to say, okay, okay, so what? We've looked at the life of Jesus. We've seen how he's responded. What does that mean for me? What does it mean for you? What do we do with this? Um, with this knowledge of Jesus that we now have as a result. And so uh, as we walk through, the main theme that you're going to see is fear. And so I want you to ask the question, who is afraid? Right? In the story, 
Who's afraid? There's two stories, right? The first story uh, takes place on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus and his disciples, the 12 apostles, they get into a boat and they head out to the other side of the sea, right? To this Gentile region on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is known today and was known then for these massive storms that would roll in. It sits kind of in this bowl with these mountains around it, right? And in that day, well below sea level, and in that day, there is no weather.com, friends, right? There's no, there's no radar. It's not like, oh, I wonder if it's going to storm today, right? It's surrounded by mountains. You can't see the storms that are rolling in on the other side of the mountains. And so often, people would, would be out on the sea, and all of a sudden, over these mountains comes these massive storms. And the winds would pick up, and the waves would pick up. And you're like, oh, shoot, we got to get off the water. But remember, it's nighttime, right? They're in the middle of the night. And so they can't see the storm rolling in. And they're out in this boat in the middle of the night, which by itself, I don't know if you've ever been out in a boat in the middle of the night. It's creepy as it is. You can't see anything around you. Like, what's out there? I don't know. I can't see anything. It's, like, it's really creepy. And all of a sudden, this massive storm rolls in. And the wind and the waves are so strong, they are battering the boats to the extent that the boat is filling with water. Okay? Now, again... Put yourself in the situation. This is not some modern speedboat, okay? This is not even a nice, like, fishing boat. This is a boat that was built 2,000 years ago, okay? Do they have life jackets? No. doesn't exist. Right? Do, do, do they, what, what do they have? Do they have, do they have radar? No. Do they have lights they can turn on so at least somebody can see them? No. Is the Coast Guard going to come? No. There's nothing. They are literally at sea by themselves in a massive storm, and their boat is sinking. They are alone. It is pitch black. They're clinging to the side of this boat because they know if they lose the boat, they lose their life. That's the reality of the situation. Nobody's coming for them. Nobody in their right mind would be out on the water. In this storm. And when the boat goes down, they go down with it. They know that. The, some of these men have grown up on this lake, fish, or on the sea, fishing they're with their dads. This is what they've known their entire life. And they know the situation they're in, and they're, that they're in. And they know that this is the end. There is no hope. Which is why when they're, when, they're, when they're clinging to the side of this boat for dear life, they look around and they realize Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. So in this moment, in this kind of horrifying moment, who's afraid? It's a simple question. I'm throwing out the simple ones early. The disciples are afraid. Who's not afraid? Jesus sleeping like a baby. And so they go to him. They shake Do you not care that we're perishing? Is what they ask. Don't you, don't you realize we're dying? Do you not care? And kind of in this like sleepy stupor, Jesus rebukes the wind. It's a sharp correction. Stop. He says to the waves, peace be still. And in an instant it goes from, we're all going to die to. Zero wind. Glass like water. And just the rocking of the boat remains. I mean, can you picture it? Can you put yourself in the boat? I think we have to, in order to grasp this, in order to understand what comes next, you have to understand what happens. It's insane. It's crazy. And in the perfect stillness, Jesus turns to his disciples, and he asks two questions. He says, what are you, af what are you so afraid of? 
you still not have faith? Jesus realizes that they are terrified of the storm. And not really terrified of the storm, they're afraid of dying. They're, they're afraid of the result of the storm, right? What is the evidence of their fear? How does Jesus know they're afraid, other than the fact that he's Jesus? How does he know they're afraid? What's the evidence of their fear? Yeah. Well, so, sorry, I asked the wrong question. What is the evidence of their lack of faith? How does Jesus know? Do you still not have faith? How does he know they don't have faith? Fear. Fear is the evidence of their lack of faith. I, I don't know if you can kind of picture this, but in, in the moment, right, when the, in this moment in the boat, right, uh, like the battery uh, icon on your phone, right, that little green battery, like their, their faith battery is zero, right? They're like, we're going to die. Like there's no hope. There's no faith. It's like it's over. Like we are all going to die. And, they, and their fear battery is like full on charged. Okay? They're, they're so afraid of all of the wrong things in that moment. The faith is, is zero. But then watch what happens next. In the very next moment, in verse 41, they are filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? As their understanding, their knowledge of Jesus' power increases, as their faith in Jesus increases, a healthy and right fear increases within them. You see, faith actually increases healthy fear. Healthy faith increases healthy fear. And a lack of faith diminishes healthy fear in that way and gives way to unhealthy fears. We see as their faith and as their understanding of Jesus increases, their fear increases. And this is a good fear. It's a healthy fear. The fear of the Lord is not like other fears. It's not like the fear of spiders and snakes or like a haunted house. It's, that's a, it's a different type of fear. The fear of the Lord is this awe and reverence and understanding of his power and his might and his majesty. It's this moment where you realize this, this is beyond me. And we don't walk around in our days afraid of it. But when we experience it, it puts us in our place. It reminds us of how small we are and how weak we are. It's like electricity. In my house, and probably in your house, there's electricity in every room, right? And I don't walk around like scared of it. I, I, I enjoy it, right? I, I turn the little dial and the, and the heat kicks on. Like that's amazing. Electricity, that's good, right? Or, or I flip a switch and the light comes on. I can see in the dark. It's amazing. I, I just enjoy it and I delight in it all the time. I plug in things and I, and I can play with the different toys with my boys and all these things. I, I love electricity. It's great. Until I like watch a few videos on YouTube and I convince myself that I'm an electrician. And then I go to fix something that's not working and I get a shock or a spark. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa. Like, I don't, no, that's, what is that? That I'm uncomfortable with. And I'm awakened to the power that is actually always surrounding me at all times that I'm enjoying and delighting in. You see, every single day, every single moment of every single day, you are delighting in the power of God. It's regulating the temperature of the sun so that you don't burn to death or so that you don't freeze to death. 
It is sustaining your life. It is the breath in your lungs. It is the blood flowing through your heart. The power of God the sea is sustaining all things. And you are delighting in those things every single day. Every day you're delighting in the power of God. But in the moment where you experience it, like the, the disciples in that boat, they're experiencing a million volts of electricity at one time. They say, what? I, don't, whoa, I don't want anything to do with that. What is that? It's like the lion at the zoo. I love the Hogel Zoo um, because they have this massive glass wall. And you can get like right up in the lion's face. And, and the adult male lion is the coolest animal on the planet. Like I hate when you walk into the zoo and all I want to do is like make a beeline for a lion. But they put like the train like right in front of the gate. Like come on, man. I don't want to ride the dumb train and see the, the giraffes and the zebras. And the zebras are never doing anything. Let's put the lion in with the zebra. That I would watch. All right. I want to go see the lion. That's all I want to do. And I want to, I'm, like the, I'm like pushing kids out of the way because I want to get right up against the glass. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but you look right into the eyes of that adult male lion. And there's something that happens in you. Okay? There's, there is a, there's a feeling that you experience. That feeling is fear. And I'm not afraid of the lion. There's six inches of glass between me and that beast. Okay? I'm not afraid he's going to eat me. I'm just in awe and reverence. I see the size of his paws and there's something that in my gut that's just like, this thing is crazy. You see his muscles rippling in his eyes. The disciples in that moment, in that boat, the fear in the boat becomes greater than the fear outside of the boat. They realize that in the boat is like a million adult male lions in the boat with them. And they're just horrified by this idea. It's far more scary than the wind and the waves and the, and the thought of dying. And again and again and again through Scripture, when people lay hold of the glory of God, this is the response. Woe is me, right? I'm a man of unclean lips. Or in Revelation, John turns around and he sees the Christ fully glorified. He falls flat on his face and says, I'm a dead man. There is no hope. There's no hope for me. Same thing in that boat that day. There's overwhelmed with the fear of the Lord. A healthy and right fear. Experience the fear of the Lord. This is a good thing. When we begin to develop an awe and a reverence of God, Solomon tells us that it's the beginning of all knowledge. And just a little bit of it is worth more than a treasure. It's a good thing. In Proverbs 15, 16, Solomon says, Better is a little fear of God than a great treasure and the trouble that comes with it, right? I would much rather have a little bit of this and just understand and know who I am compared to who he is than have all the treasure of the world. It's a valuable thing to walk in the fear of the Lord. And the, and the disciples in the boat that day are awakened to it. And so they, they make it to the other side of the sea, and they, you know they don't sleep. Like the whole night they're like in the back of the boat like, did you see that? Right? And how far away can we stay from Jesus? Like, I don't want to... I don't want to mess with that guy. All right, they make it to the other side, and that boat comes ashore, and immediately this demon-possessed man comes down out of these tombs, out of these uh, tombs in the mountains. And you can go to this place today. You can go to the same spot on the Sea of Galilee, and just a few miles offshore, there's these crazy tombs. And they said, that's the place. You can go visit them today. It's creepy, kind of, but you can go see it. And he comes down to Jesus in that moment. And this is not just any... Any demon-possessed man, right? This is the people, the people of the village that is nearby have tried to subdue this man. They know he's crazy. 
They, they know, they're, they're afraid of him, right? They say at night he is walking around cutting himself and screaming, okay? Like imagine if that guy lived in your neighborhood. You'd try and tie him up too. Huh? I'd be selling my house or buying a gun, one or the other. And I'm a pacifist, but that guy, no. Yeah, not in my neighborhood. That's creepy. These people are deathly afraid. Again, here's the theme. Who's afraid? The people are afraid of this man. They try to tie him up and they try to bind him, but they can't bind him because he's too powerful. They try to lock him away in the caves, but they can't lock him away because he's too powerful. So there's living with it. How creepy is that? Now, real quick, sidebar. Let's just, let's just pause for a second. Because I know for some of you in the room, you're like, wait, whoa, 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 so many questions, right? So many questions. So, so real quick, let's set the text aside. And let's just deal with some of the questions. First question, demon possession? Like, that's a thing? Yeah, it's a thing, right? What we, what we realize as we study Scripture is that there is a spiritual realm beyond us that, that we do not fully understand, that we cannot see, that there are things happening in places unknown that, that we cannot see. Right? This is not lost on the people who are near to God. Right? Paul writes it this way in Ephesians 6. He says this. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, Against cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is who we are up against. This is, this is the fight that we are waging. When we are, when we are advancing the kingdom of God, when the church is being the church, this is who we're fighting against. Not culture, not our neighbors, not our friends. No, no, no. Spiritual forces. Cosmic powers of the present darkness. This is what we're up against. What does this look like? How does this play out? I'm going to give you two things. There's probably more than two, but I'll give you two. There are places in this world where the, where the church and the gospel of Christ is slow to advance. Not because it's a weird culture, not because there's a language barrier, not because uh, whatever external circumstances, but because there's a spiritual darkness over that place. That is stopping the church from advancing or thwarting the church again and again, day in and day out. And the church and the gospel struggle in these places. And God is constantly sending people to these places to be the light of the world, to be the city on the hill. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but you, you live in one of those places. I think it's healthy. I think it's right for us to be reminded of this regularly. That the reason why it is harder to be a Christian in Utah is not because the culture is different. But because of the prince of the power of the air. Because there's, there are things going on beyond us. There are things over this present darkness that are beyond what we can see. Some of you just moved here and you're like, wait, wait, what? All right. Uh, and that's the reality. When you move here and you're like, this place is amazing. Look at the mountains. Look, look how beautiful. Look at the snow. We should take up skiing. We should take up hiking. We should take up This place is amazing. Like, there's so many there's national parks. We can go to this. This, 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 this is great. Give it a few years. You guys laugh because you know. This place is weird. And not just weird because Costco has like a conservative women's section. Okay, not just weird because of that. Um, weird for other reasons. Not just weird because a scone is not really a scone. Weird for other reasons. Um, I mean, my, 
my relationship with Jesus feels oppressed here. I see my friend's kids, like, relationship with Jesus flourishing in other places in ways that my, it's just harder for my kids to. Like, there's things going on that beyond me. There's a, there's a, there's a darkness that I can't see, but I can experience. I, I know it's there. And the church struggles more here. And the kingdom advances slower here. But before you go home and sell your house, some of you put your phone away because I know you're already doing it right now. It's like on Zillow. You're like, stop. Listen, God has you right where he has you. And he has you here for a reason. He has called you here because he, know, he wants to use you in this place to advance his mission, to advance his kingdom, to push back the powers of darkness, and to see his kingdom of marvelous light take root in this place. That's why you're here. That's what we're doing. That's why Flourishing Grace Church is here, okay? And so in some places in the world, man, there's, there's just a greater presence of spiritual darkness where the church is But there's other places where demon possession is a real thing. Now, is that true here in Utah? I don't think it is. I haven't met any people who are demon-possessed. I don't know anybody who has met anybody who's demon-possessed in Utah. But I can, I can introduce you to people. I can introduce you to some missionaries from South Sudan who will tell you stories that will make your skin crawl. They'll take you, they'll show you. You want to go to South Sudan, they'll show you. You'll never sleep again, but they'll show you, okay? Where demon possession is, is a real thing that is happening. Now people say, well, why not here? Because Satan's plan is working out just fine here. You know, need, no, no need for demon possession here. There are places where it's real and it's happening. Now the demon in this story is not just a demon. It's not just any old demon, right? Jesus, Jesus says, what is your name? And he says, I am legion, for we are many. Now that's creepy, all right? That's super creepy. And so, so wait, wait, I have one more question, right, that I know everybody's one. Wait, why the pigs? Right, why does he send all these demons to pigs? Like 2,000 pigs, right? These, these demons, there's so many demons. In the uh, Roman legion is four to six thousand men. Now are there four to six thousand demons in this man? Probably not literally, but there are, there's more than one. And there's two thousand pigs that all are all end up demon possessed. And so we say, yeah, there's, there's a thousand or more demons in this guy. It's a crazy story. It's messed up. And Jesus sends these demons off into these pigs. Um, why? And the answer is we, we really don't know, okay? We don't, we don't know. Um, three leading theories. N number one, uh, to demonstrate that, that Jesus loves this man far more than he loves 2,000 animals. Okay? That's true. That's, that's real. Right? Um, what I grew up knowing and understanding was that, I mean, for, this is a Gentile region. And so for the Jews, in Leviticus, we learned that pigs or swine are an unclean animal. And so Jesus is taking these unclean spirits and placing them in an unclean animal. Right? And that's, that's appropriate for the demon. Right? Not, not a human. Right? So he's, he's put him in an unclean animal. Uh, one other theory that I've heard is this idea that man, Jesus delights in this man and loves this man far more than he loves any amount of money. 2,000 pigs would be a lot of money. I mean, I would gladly throw away all the money in the world for the treasure of this one man that he might come to know me. Okay? Now, are all three of those things true? Yes, they're all true. Is that why I did it? I don't know. Nobody knows. It's just a crazy, crazy thing. It happens in the story. And so the demon-possessed man comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, have you, have you come to torment us, right? Matthew tells the same story, and the way the demon says it in Matthew, he says, have you come to torment us before our time has come? 
The demons know the power of Christ. And they're filled with fear. Again, here's another one who's afraid. They're afraid of Jesus. And they know that there's a time coming when Christ is going to return. And Christ is going to destroy them. Christ is going to decimate them. And they will be cast into the lake of the fire with Satan. And all of his followers will be in there. They know that time is coming. Have you come to torment us before that time? Why are you here? And Jesus cast these demons out of this man into these 2,000 pigs. The pigs run down in the sea and they all drown and they all die. And the herdsmen go back to the town and they bring all the townspeople. And the townspeople come and they see the man in their dress and clothed in his right mind. And what happens to them? Anybody remember? They're afraid. Verse 14 and 15. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus. They saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. They're afraid. In the very next verse, they beg him to leave. Please leave. This is the life-giving Savior of the universe, the one who has power over demons, the one who has power to heal, to forgive. And they say, it's too much for us. It's too much for us. They realize that there's a million lions standing on the beach. That's more terrifying to them than the demon-possessed man. They see the power of God, and it's too much for them. They ask him to leave. How could they ask him to leave? Why? Why did they ask him to leave? I'll tell you why. Because they have a knowledge now of his power, but they don't have a knowledge of his love. They have a knowledge of his power, but they don't have a knowledge of his love. Who has a knowledge of both in the story? Who has a knowledge of Jesus' infinite power and his infinite love? Who knows it in the story? Who knows it? love who the demon possessed man the demon possessed man is the only one he's the one he's the only one in the story who's been touched fully by the power of Christ and the love of Christ and what is his response what is his response verse 18 and as Jesus was getting into the boat the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. He says, I've got to be with you. The one who has the knowledge of his infinite power and his infinite love has no fear of Christ. He has a great and healthy fear of the Lord. He knows his power, but he also knows his infinite love. He says, I know how terrifying it is. There's a million lions in that boat, and I'm getting in. I'm in. I want to be as near to you as I can possibly be. He's ruined for anything less than to be as near as he can to Jesus because he knows his infinite power and it's terrifying, but he knows his infinite love and he can't escape it. Who else knows the power, the, the infiniteness of pow- Jesus' power, and who else knows the extent of his infinite love? Who else has been touched by it? If you're in Christ, you have. I have. God of infinite power put on flesh and he came and he dwelt among us and he went to the cross and the power of the cross has not cast out 2,000 demons, it's cast out a million sins of my life. It's covered me in his own righteousness. 
His blood has washed me white as wool, pure as snow. The power of Christ has done that in me, and it's done that in you. You've been touched by his infinite power and his infinite love. If you are in Christ, if you've given yourself to him, and it's still happening in you right now, the power of Christ is transforming you and sanctifying you from one degree of glory to another into his likeness. You're being molded and shaped into his image, not by your power, but by his power and by his love. We're ruined for anything less than to get in the boat, to draw near to him. And in fear and trembling, we come to him and we give our life to him. We say, man, I don't want to be with anybody else except for you. It's the beauty of the gospel. Infinite power and infinite love on display for us. Towards us. Poured out on us. And so what do we do with all of this? What do we do with this text? As we look at Jesus and we look at the people who are affected by his power and his love, what do we do with this? I'm going to give you three things and we'll be done. Number one. First, first thing, when fear comes to me, I go to him. When fear comes to me, I go to him. Right, the people in the boat, the disciples in the boat, right, they're terrified until they go to him. The demon-possessed man, what does he do? He goes to Jesus. When fear comes to me, I go to him. I go to him, and I awaken in me. My affections for him. I awaken in me my love for him. I awaken in me my joy in him. I awaken in me my delight in him. And I awaken in me my peace in him. When anxiety fills my life, I run to him. When the doctor calls and my kid is sick and there's no cure for what my kid has, and I am terrified of the future for my child, I run to him and I awaken in me my affection for him. When my boss calls and I, I don't have a job tomorrow and my life is filled with all of these thoughts of, I mean, how am I going to provide? And what if somebody gets sick and we no longer have health care? We no longer have these things. I go to him and I awaken my affections for Christ. I awaken my joy in him and I awaken my peace in him. I run to Jesus. And I remind myself that Christ in me is stronger than anything that I fear. Number two. When fear fills my mind, I meditate on his power and his love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. Right? First John 4. But his perfect love is casting out my fear. And so when fear fills me, when anxiety fills me, when stress fills me, when worry fear fills me, right? And I am so overcome with fear. I meditate on his love and on his power, and it, it reduces, it diminishes, it casts out his, it casts out my fear. If you want to reduce fear, you must fill your mind with his love. I don't know if you guys ever watch a UFC fight. Anybody? Okay, all right, all right. Or a championship boxing match. These great fighters come out, and they are just specimens, right? They're just jacked, like beyond belief. They're in fighting shape. Man, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing that looks like a trained fighter who's like ready for fight day, right? And it's, it's impressive, it's scary all at the same time, right? A little fear-inducing. Um, but yet, then they always have this entourage around them of all these mostly, I think almost always men, right? Who are a little, a little too old, okay? A little too out of shape, man, a little pudgy, uh, a little too short, uh, maybe a little too young, maybe a little too scrawny, a little skinny, a little, little hillbilly, Right? 
Um, and the, but yet they're all, all these men that are like surrounding this guy are all like walking like this. Like, what? And like, who are you? I was looking at the guy, I can take that guy. And I'm not, I'm not in good shape, but I can take that guy like easy, right? This guy's old. Like, what is he doing, right? Like, they all, they're all walking with this swagger. They look at me, look at, look at how strong I am. Look at, like, you're not strong. You're not fit. But they're with the guy who is. And they know that guy loves them. They know that guy's got their back. And they know that if you do anything to them, that guy's going to jack you up. And so they walk around like they're, like they're that guy. They walk around with that same confidence. They're, they're emulating him, even though they're nothing like him. In the same way for the follower of Jesus, when it comes to how we act with our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, we act like Jesus, which means meekness and humility and tenderness and kindness and gentleness and lowliness. We submit ourselves to them as servants and slaves of our neighbors and as our friends and the people in this room. But when it comes to fear, swagger. This isn't just me saying this, right? This is how Paul lives his life. Romans 8, which is one of the most amazing texts in the entire Bible, Paul is declaring the goodness and the sweetness and the power and the beauty of the gospel. And by the end, Paul's sticking out his chest. By the end of Romans 8, Paul's bragging. Like he is afraid of nothing. Like he's walking around with some swagger. I'm going to read it for you. It's not going to be up on the screen because I, I forgot. But here's the end of Romans 8, starting verse 31. Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who's going who, who's to mess with me? God is for me. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? If he didn't spare the life of his son, what's he going to hold back from us? You think he's going to abandon us now? He's already given the, the most precious thing that he has. He ain't going to abandon us. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who also raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Right now, in my hour of anxiety, in my hour of worry, in my hour of intense fear, the Son of God, who has risen from the dead on my behalf, is standing at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for me. What are you going to do to me? Nothing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or any of the other things that we're afraid of? For it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's not that the circumstances change. It's not that things get better. But I know the one who is in the ring, and it's not me. I'm the entourage. I'm on the outside, and the fighter is Jesus, and there's nobody greater. I ain't going to lose. I ain't going to lose. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the next time you are afraid, 
Go read Romans 8 and get your swagger back. There's nothing to be afraid of in Christ. Nothing. Like, you cannot, you cannot know the extent of Jesus' power and love and be afraid of death. You just can't. Death is just a doorway to eternal joy and delight in Christ. There's nothing to fear there. You can't fear trouble when you know that the God of all mercy and justice loves you. Like he is on the mat and you, you're not the one in the, in the octagon. He is. You're the entourage sitting on the outside. You already know he's going to win. He's going to dominate. There's nothing to fear. And so we rest in knowing who is near to us. Rest in knowing the truth. And so when my mind is racked with anxiety, I must fill my mind with the thoughts of his power and love. If I have a healthy fear of Christ, I'll have a healthy lack of fear of everything else. Lastly, when fear comes to me, it's my opportunity to go to them. When fear comes to me, it's my opportunity to go to them. What does this mean? I love the end of the story. The demon-possessed man tries to get in the boat with Jesus. He says, I'm coming with you. Jesus says, no. No. And Jesus does something that's different, out of character. He says, I want you to go tell all your friends and your family what happened. You see, if you've been paying attention up through this point in Mark, okay, in this series, in, in chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, every time somebody experiences Jesus' power and his love, they're like, I'm going to go tell everybody. And Jesus says, no. Don't tell anybody. But this time, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Go tell your friends. Go tell your family. Now, let's be real. This guy has no friends left. All right. Freddy Krueger has no friends. This guy is creepy. But there was a time when he did. He might have had a wife and kids. For sure, a mom and dad. Maybe they're still around. These friends in his life who loved him. She says, go, go show them what's happened. Go show them the power of God and the love of God in you. Now you fast forward two chapters to the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8. Jesus comes back across the Sea of Galilee to this exact same region. And thousands of people greet him. He feeds 4,000 people miraculously on that same beach. 4,000 Gentiles eat him. Because this man has gone to the Decapolis and he has proclaimed the power and the love of Christ. And so when, when I experience fear, it is an opportunity for me to proclaim the power and love of Christ to the people in my life who need to hear it, who need to see it, who need to rest in it and find their peace in it, who need the gospel of Jesus. And so he, here's what I want to ask you. One last thing real quick. What, what in your life are you afraid of? Like what is keeping you up at night? Some of you in the room, you're like, I don't know. But there's other people in this room. Other people in this room. You have not slept in days or weeks, maybe even months, maybe even years. You have not slept well. You're afraid to go into the office tomorrow because you're afraid of what might happen there. And there's so much anxiety and stress associated with that. Or maybe in the office you're afraid to come home because there's so much anxiety and stress associated with coming home. You don't, you don't, don't want to deal with it. There's so many things going on. Real fears. Your kid is going through some things at school. Your kid is going through some health things. Maybe you're going through some health things. Maybe your parents are going through. I don't know what it is. There's things going on in your life that are just, just daily anxiety, daily worry, daily stress. And this is your text. 
God has you right here in this room for a reason. And for the rest of you, that's coming for you. It's coming. But for some of you, you're like, I, I know. I know what it's like to have the waves of life crash into my boat. It's happening right now. I just want to challenge you this morning to go to Jesus and awaken your affections for him. Awaken your delight in him. Awaken your joy in him. Awaken your peace in him. And to fill your mind with, it, with the knowledge of his love and the knowledge of, your, of his power. To read over Romans 8 again and again and again and again. To read this text in Mark again and again and again. To remind you that he's the one who has all power over all of the world and all of nature. And he has all power over all of the supernatural. He has all power, all authority in heaven and earth are his. It belongs to him. And he has infinite love towards you. And then turn to your friends, turn to your neighbors who don't know him. And see this moment as an opportunity in your life to profess his infinite power and his infinite love towards a world that is so broken by sin and so needs infinite power and infinite love of a loving Savior who has come for them. There's an amazing opportunity in your life. Let's go to him. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we come before you. I praise you for flourishing grace. I praise you for your word. I praise you for your power. I praise you for your infinite love. I pray for my friends in the room this morning who understand this moment. Who know what it's like to have the waves of life crashing into their boat and filling it. Who know what it's like to live with intense fear. Fear of the future, fear of the past. Fear of the unknown. To live life with uncertainty day in and day out. And that the fear has controlled them for a season of time. And I pray that today that that season would come to an end. That you would fill their mind with the knowledge of your power it would terrify them. That you would fill their heart with the knowledge of your infinite love. And it would wreck them. That, their perfect, that your perfect love would cast out their fear. And that they would be ruined for anything less than to get in the boat and to go tell the world how powerful you are and how loving you are their story would have an impact on the lives of their neighbors and their friends and their co-workers. I pray this in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Flourishing grace. Let's do that now. Let's sing over one another, declaring his power and declaring his love in this place. Let's stand one last song together.